Welcome to Backstage at Upstage, a presentation of Upstage Lung Cancer, which uses the performing arts to raise awareness and funding for lung cancer research. Here's your host, the founder and president of Upstage Lung Cancer, Hilde Grossman. Hi, I'm Hilde Grossman, and we're so excited to have you with us today backstage at Upstage. And here's my good pal, Jordan Rich. Hilde, thank you. This podcast continues to attract some amazing people, bright lights forging a path ahead for themselves and others. Today, we have an amazing lady joining us. Her name is Heather Smith, a lung cancer survivor who's turned her experiences into something very positive. She's become a life coach helping other lung cancer patients. Can't wait to hear Heather share her story with us right here on Backstage at Upstage. Well, I'm particularly thrilled that you're here. And um, I was so grateful that you also were a guest on our concert, Pure Imagination, Music Meets Science. You were also willing to join us again for podcasts. What so, are we paying welcome. this woman? What are we paying her? <laughs> oh, 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 the big bucks. <laughs> the very big bucks. There you go. Anyway, welcome, Heather. I just It's so nice to, to have you here. So can you just share your experience with lung cancer, how you found it, it's, you know, and let us hear your journey. Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, you are paying me in that I am achieving my own personal life mission of just helping other people understand what journey they're on, how it starts, how it looks different for everybody, and yet how we're all the same. So the more people I can like hit their ears, I'm very, very happy with that. So yay for me. (laughs) Uh, So I was diagnosed, actually, I will be a six-year survivor in two days from the date of this recording. So May of 2016, I was diagnosed. I was 34 years old. I had a persistent cough and I was uninsured at the time because it was way too expensive on the salary that I was making at the time. And I thought I'm young and healthy. Why would I like, why do I even need insurance? Which is, I think something that a lot of Americans think about insurance. So um, I had this persistent cough and I knew as soon as I got insurance, I was going into my primary care physician. I went in and so she, you know, was like, oh, it's asthma, allergies, bronchitis, pneumonia. We treated all of the things, nothing worked. And I feel so incredibly grateful that she was so on top of it because she said, if, if, if we can't fix these things right now, there is something more wrong. And so she pushed immediately for an x-ray of my chest. My entire right lung looks like chaos. Um, and she saw the x-ray roll back. She said, you need to get a PET scan. I got connected with, um, a place in Denver where I used to live and they brought me in right away. I had a PET scan. I had my bronchoscopy and that is where they found that it was stage four ALK positive lung cancer. I was listening to your episodes. You've had EGFR, on here. So it's, I have the same, it's not the same, but it's a genetic mutation. So what had happened is it had metastasized from my lungs to my brain. And then my ovaries were lighting up on my scans. 
So I started on treatment right away. I was on the first line TKI right, right off the bat. And I, my, one of my first questions was, um, you know, we're, we're trying to start a family. Can I harvest eggs? Do I have time? And they said, no, you don't have time and you won't be able to get pregnant on this medication. So that dream died very swiftly. And I went through my first three years from being diagnosed and I was on three different medications. My body didn't respond. It responded well, like it was keeping the cancer in check, but the side effects were extreme for me. It, my body just was like trying to, it was struggling. It was working overtime. It was very hard because you're swallowing these really harsh chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. That are keeping you alive, but also it impacts your quality of life. So one of the TKIs failed. I had one of the worst fears come true, disease progression. This was in August of 2019. I was on this dog walk. I became disoriented. And I think I remember sitting down in the grass at like the nearby school and I am quite sure that my dogs walked me home. I didn't walk them home. Mm -hmm. They walked me home, mm -hmm. got home, um, was sitting on the patio with my partner. And I said, gee, well, I thought I said, I'm getting a headache. And I stood up to go inside to get a painkiller. And as I was stepping from the concrete patio into the house, I had my first seizure, at least the first one that was, you know, witnessed by someone else, um, timbered back because I never do anything small. I am very loud and boisterous and everything I do is like this big production. So I timbered back, fell out of her arms, cracked my head on the concrete, uh, and then proceeded to have somewhere between three and five seizures. Ambulance came, took me to the hospital. I think I had a seizure in the ambulance got in the hospital, they stapled my head back together and I had MRI after MRI after MRI. I was doped up on so much Keppra. So I don't really remember that point because obviously my brain was now filled with these tumors. They, they just grew back, they just blossomed back. And the MRI reports basically said, they're innumerable. We can't count them. There's just too many. Oh. I woke up and cognizant enough to actually understand what had happened. I knew it was crystal clear to me that I had not been living my life right. And I especially had not been living my cancer life right. I had spent that prior three years just moving my body, my, my human meat suit through the day. And there was nothing left inside of me. I was not pursuing goals and dreams and I wasn't laughing hard and I wasn't crying. And I was just, I had regressed so far back, so far down, like that scale of what makes a life really good. I had completely dissociated from my life. So woke up in the hospital bed, made that realization. It was that day that I promised myself I would change everything. And I set out on a journey to do that. 
it has been three years later. And today I can tell you, I have huge goals. I laugh harder. I live a big, bold, beautiful life. I am the happiest I have ever been cancer or no cancer. And through this journey that I've been on, I've realized that my cancer is my gift. It didn't happen to me. It happened for me so I could become this version of myself. It's so interesting that you say that because I often say the same thing when I was I was very lucky because my lung cancer was just found by accident and it was very early. It was just one A. I had surgery and well, maybe some people, but I'm not the kind of person who says, well, it's just gone now. Uh, it's gone, and I'm grateful, but, uh, you know, it's it's just can't deny that it existed. But so much of my life is so much enriched. Um, the people I have met, the experiences I have had, um, the efforts I've put forth that have made me feel good and I know have been helpful, all of that came uh, you know, as a result of being diagnosed with lung cancer. So I, I totally get what you're saying when somebody else would say, what are you, are you crazy? You know, but no, you know, so. Hmm. I've got a question. Uh, and uh, first of all, you look amazing and I love your smile and I can tell you're a, you do things in a big way. I love that. But you've given back a lot and that has to fuel your your life Talk a little bit about what you've done as a, a motivational speaker to people who are in the same boat, if you will. Joining us on the podcast is just one aspect of that. Sure. So um, I'm going to back up and give you a little backstory so you understand where I am today. So when I woke up in the hospital bed, I said, I have to change my life. And often we get so overwhelmed, like, well, what can I do to change? I should change everything. And I knew I just needed to change one thing, one thing at a time. That's all you can do. It's always the next best action to take. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter if it's big or small. So the promise I made to myself was I am going to do yoga for five minutes a day. That's it. If I, if after five minutes, I was still too fatigued and too just feeling unwell in my body, I could stop, but at least I did it for the five minutes. If I felt great after five minutes, which really was like 99.9% of the time, I would keep going. So I started my transformation with yoga. Now, yoga is definitely about getting strong and being flexible and bendy and mobility, but there's a really deep inner... Mm, awareness that you create because you are it's so in tune and present with your body in the moments of doing a yoga pose of doing a yoga flow and that was the thing that really the, the the catalyst to this so I started looking I said to myself how can I recreate this in other areas of my life so I started looking at everything. And I mean, when I say everything, there was nothing that I felt that that was off limits. Like if it sounded healthy, if it sounded healing, I was going to try it. Did, did all of the things stick? No, of course not. But I created my own 
health and healing journey by just bringing that awareness. Does this thing right now make me feel good? Does it make me feel like I'm in charge? Does it make me feel like I'm the leader? If it did, it got included. If it didn't, it got excluded. And the things ebb and flow in and out of my healing journey. The the most monumental thing that I found was a life coach. She helped me understand that what I was thinking was impacting everything. And what you think creates feelings, it creates your actions or inactions, which ultimately creates any result that you have in your life. Whatever you're thinking comes out in your life. So I found my life coach. I worked with a therapist. I started doing, I work with a naturopathic doctor. I started doing acupuncture. Then I did Reiki. You know, I've, I've moved all of these things in and out of my life. I've done like lymphatic cleansing and I've, I never changed my diet to the extreme that I think some people do. And if that's what you want to do, I love it for you. Go for it. That was not my decision. I already ate clean before I was diagnosed. So I, I, I learned all of these things and I woke up one day and I said, you know what? I need to teach this to other people. I need to help all of the people feel as good as I do today. And so I started coaching a coaching business. I started a program. It's 16 weeks. It's I take my clients in and we go on this 16 week journey from feeling like you are surviving your diagnosis to genuinely feeling like you are thriving in life, irregardless of your diagnosis. I've helped ovarian cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, genetic and non-genetic, um, head and neck cancer, just everybody. Like if you if you've got it, had it, are finishing with treatment, are starting treatment, I've helped everybody along the way. And the thing that I I hear over and over and over again is that once you learn how to understand what's going on in your brain, that awareness component, it snowballs and it builds and it creates a, a tool for you that you can use everywhere, all over your life. Like it's like peanut butter and you're smearing it to the edges of the bread. And it impacts everything that you do, everything that you think, everything that you say, your entire life experience. Did I answer your question? You did, of course. Wonderfully. I I was going to say, you know, um, one of the hats I wear outside of being a jazz singer and producing concerts and heading up upstage lung cancer is I'm a, a psychologist. And so, you know, one of the things that you're underscoring is the value of, you know, cognitive behavior therapy. And that is that our thoughts and what we say to ourselves impacts our, our behavior. What you've got, that's the kind of the, the icing on the cake, so to speak, is the experience of having cancer and facing these issues every single day. It's one thing for somebody else to say, try these 12 things, they're in a book, versus I've tried this, doesn't work for me, but as you said, could work for you. But here's something that maybe you have in common, that if you say it can't be done, I'm never going to get better, life's over, forget about everything. If you're filled with anger, it's not to say you're going to feel what you feel anyway. But if you stay there in an angry place, um, in a helpless place, um, it just diminishes the day. And I think that's what you're talking about. Make each day matter. 
I can't agree with you more. And I think it's so easy to, I mean, I fell into the state, right? Where it was just cancer happened to me. My life is over. I mean, I went as far as getting rid of belongings, clothes. I was working a job, but that was fine. And it was just to make ends meet. And there was nothing. I didn't do anything. I didn't really engage with people. I had friends ghost me because either I wasn't, I didn't have the energy to go up and meet them and do the things that we used to do together or one memorable friend and bless his heart. He's such a good human. And we're, we've reconnected now, but he said, my mom died of cancer like a year and a half ago. I can't do that again right now. And I said, I completely understand. Um, but I, I had withdrawn so deeply into myself and I wasn't doing anything and, and, it's hard and it's overwhelming and it's fearful. Do I still have days where I'm terrified? Absolutely. Of course, of course. But I also know that I can sit in the fear and the discomfort and I can feel all of the emotions and I can cry and I can scream and I can vent. I can talk to myself. I can talk to my friends. I can talk to my family but I know that I am safe in feeling the fear and feeling the anxiety and feeling all of these things because I know how to get out of it for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's what I do. I help everybody else. Like, do you need some words of wisdom? I've got them. Do you need some practical tips? I've got that too. You know, and, and I don't have the correct answer for you out the gate. Maybe, maybe I do. If I don't, I can help you figure it out for yourself. Cause that's the, that's the whole thing is it's like, you know, you'll look at like the list of 12 things or the list of 15 things that you should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And if they don't work for you, that feels isolating. You're like, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I different? It, it's isolating and overwhelming when you're like, but that doesn't seem to apply to me. Like I know when I was diagnosed, I wasn't having chemo. I was the youngest person in the oncologist office, aside from maybe his staff people, but I was the youngest patient. And I was like, I'm different. Like I, my experience right now looks different than what people expect, what I was expecting. And I felt further along. So having someone who's there and having a community that's there, that's like, you don't have to say all the words. We understand where you're at. Nothing has gone wrong. There is nothing wrong with you. If you want to change one thing, great. If you want to change 10 things, Let's take it one thing at a time and move forward from there. Again, as you say, everybody's different. How important it is to allow yourself to have your feelings because it's a terrible diagnosis. You know, somebody who says they're, you know, not touched by having a diagnosis of lung cancer. I don't know who that person is. Once the impact of the diagnosis happens, then it is about how to live with the lung cancer. What what do you do? And as you say, Ed, there are so many feelings that come up, the fear, um, the, the anger, um, the, the sense of aloneness, uh, just all kinds of, of experiences. And as you say, I think having somebody else who may not have the same experience you do, but still is in the same sorority or fraternity. It's just, you know, they get it. 
Um, mm. And so just being able to talk, because that's another thing I noticed when I started upstage lung cancer and was looking for people who might want to be on our board or volunteers. I noticed two two directions. One, if it was a family member of someone who had died of lung cancer, some were all the more motivated. Let me ask, you know, let me know what I can do. I want to help. I want to be involved. The others are, I never want to hear about lung cancer again, and they go in another direction. So there's no judgment. I think we all feel what we feel, and I think we all have to do the best we can coping with life. But, um, So I hear what you're saying. I mean, what you've started and what you're trying to do for others helps you, but it also helps others because they know you understand. And I think you're absolutely right. Like one of the things I see, I saw in myself is those first three years, I was not interested in advocating, in fundraising, in anything. I was, I don't want to be labeled as a patient. I don't want to be in the support groups. I don't want anything to do with it. I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. After my disease progression, I was like, you know, maybe I do need some support. And so I started exploring what are the things that do fit me, fit my personality, fit my needs, what does feel supportive to me and for me. So I've done I've been in the advocacy, you know, when like the White Ribbon Project launched, Heidi is my friend. We were the ones who originally like sat down together and we got really angry and we're like, you better, you better hang those white ribbons everywhere. You know, let's, let's, let's get these things out there. But that's not my project. That's her passion. And I love that. I love that for her. I love how passionate she is about it. That's not my gig. And that's okay. You know, and I think people are like, well, I should be up there with memorizing statistics and being able to rattle all these things off and talking to Senate and talking to Congress. But you don't have to be. You can advocate however much you want to. There is no right or wrong degree to do it. And now, as opposed to when I was diagnosed in 2007, um, now there are, you know, a lot of different lung cancer organizations. Ours is, you know... Um, uses music and the performing arts. And the goal is to fund early detection research because that's going to save so many lives if we can just get it at the earliest possible time. Um, But there are many others. And so Upstage Lung Cancer is a member of an organization called LungCan. And we're part of a consortium of organizations all over the country from California to Maine. um, and, um, And that feels nice, too. To mm-hmm. be a part, and if, and you know, many of them have a different focus, you know. So, right. so I hear you, and I love that when you think about it. Any anybody who's advocating or fundraising or doing research or everything, all of it, these are all little parts that make up a whole. And any progress in any area is progress for the whole. It's like that saying a rising tide lifts all boats. Right, right. No. The more we talk about it, the more we share our stories, the more we you know, advocate for early detection, the more we advocate for research, the more we raise money for this thing or that thing or the other thing. It goes to the best benefit of everybody, cancer patient, lung cancer, 
or not, just everybody. It just makes everything better for everybody. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, one of the things, um, one of your pieces of wise advice is to figure out what you control can control. I'll start again. One of the things that you advocate is to figure out what you can control and what you can let go of. And this reminds me of the serenity prayer. So clearly, if you're struggling with addictions, that's a terrible situation to be in and painful as well. But what does that mean for you to figure out what you can control and what you cannot? Oh, this this is an answer I can go really deep on. I won't because then this podcast is going to be like an hour and a half long. (laughs) You can give us the serious headlines so that we don't miss what's underneath. So I think the highlight of it is that the only person that you can control, the only thing in your life that you can control is yourself. Your thoughts, understanding your thoughts, your feelings, how you choose to speak to others or don't speak to others. That is the thing that you can control. But there are strategies. You can develop a strategy for managing things like fatigue. You can create a strategy for managing scans day. Like I have a process that I go through every single time I go to scans and every single time it works. I go in with far less anxiety and I walk out the day feeling like, you know, I did a really good job today. Maybe there's a tweak I would make here and there. Um, so that is the thing that I can control is how I show up to scans, knowing that I'm, I've done like my little checklist, like my own little personal checklist. That's what I can control. What the results show, I cannot control. But I can control who I am when I show up there. Um, I also think that one of the things that I can control is understanding my energy. I know that fatigue is a real thing, whether you're a cancer patient and on active treatment or just a regular human being, we're all stressed out. We're all go, go, going all of the time. We're trying to get so many things done or, you know, you're stuck in the, the deep fatigue where it's, I can't get out of my bed. I'm too tired. Taking a shower sounds exhausting. And I think one of the things that you can control here is understanding how you can use your time so you still feel productive, even if it's a low energy day. Like, for example, when I have a low energy day, I allow myself to fully rest. I will sleep in. I will go and Netflix on my couch. You know, I just finished Bridgerton (laughs) and that's fine. And I'm fully allowed to do that. But when I'm resting, I'm not scrolling on social media. I'm not answering emails. I'm not sitting there thinking, well, you know, I really should scrub the bathroom and I really need to vacuum my floors and my dog needs a walk and all of these other little things. I am, I say to myself, this is what rest feels like. I can control this. I am allowing myself to fully be in this rest period. And then when I'm feeling a little bit better and let's say it's like, you know, I'm feeling a little tired today, but I can still do some things. That's the time for me to like fold laundry, put laundry away. Those tasks that don't take up as much energy. And when I do them, I still feel productive and go to bed feeling satisfied. But I also wasn't, you know, 
scrubbing the floorboards with a toothbrush, which would take up far more energy. Right. So I'm, I'm controlling how I'm applying my energy and, and my mind over what is restful, how do I rest, and then what can I do within the, the scope of the energy that I have available. Well, we just want to thank you so very much for sharing your story and your experience and your turning, you know, a horrific situation into a life affirming situation. Um, And so still having cancer and still having to address all of the things that go with it are still a part of your life. But you've talked about how you uh, and I'm borrowing for something you've talked about you know, you shared with this audience how you feed your mind, your body, and your spirit. And that's, it couldn't say anything more. So thank you so much for sharing, uh, sharing with us. And we wish you absolutely the very, very best um, as you go along. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. And is it okay if I tell people where to find me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Please do. (laughs) Perfect. So you can find me on Instagram. If you're an Instagrammer like I am, it's my favorite place to hang out. I'm at heathers.coaching, like Heather is, Heather with an S at the end, dot coaching. And then if you're on Facebook, I have a group called Living Life with Cancer. You can find me there. That's the best those are the best two places, the, the places where I'm the most active and would be happy to talk to anyone about anything. I don't care if we're talking about the weather or, you know, how the Bucks did. I'm here for all of it. But the Celtics are doing well. <laughs> she doesn't want to talk about <laughs> I that. Know, I know. She does not want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Being from Milwaukee. Yeah, let's not Wisconsin. go there. Anyway, thank you again. To find out how you can join Upstage Lung Cancer in raising awareness and funding to beat lung cancer, visit our website, upstagelungcancer.org. We invite you to subscribe and download our podcast, available on all platforms. And we love reviews and ratings. After all, we're showbiz people. There's more entertainment and inspiration to come on the next podcast episode of Backstage at Upstage.